This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. We have another amazing guest here on the show today. Someone who's a little bit different, got a little bit of, um, got some amazing experience, especially in the corporate world. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to introduce her really, really shortly. I, you know, we were just talking offline, and it was just, it's, it was really fascinating to learn about how she has really advanced her career at such a young age. And we're going to delve into what she's learned uh, from being so COO at the age of 24 through to someone that she is now, which is, um, you know, f former CEO and, uh, you know, entrepreneur and speaker and things like that. So um, who we got on the show today, ladies and gents? Well, we've got the amazing Victoria uh, Pelletier, who, who is, you know, like I said, she has got a wealth of experience, like an absolute wealth of experience. And she is, um, uh, she's, well, she's worked with some credible companies, uh, credible, uh, credible companies such as IBM and, IBM actually voted her as the number one social selling seller, uh, number one social seller uh, through LinkedIn and stuff like that. So that's a really big thing. She's also recognized as one of the top most influential business leaders in tech. She has also been awarded uh, mentor of the year in 2021. And she is an inclusive and diversity champion as well, which I'm always a big fan of in, in terms of like women's empowerment and stuff like that, which I absolutely love. Um, she is uh, currently one of the managing directors of Accenture, which is the big consulting group as well. Uh, she's got uh, a plural experience in uh, executive boards and things like that. Now, what, some of the things that we're going to be covering in today's show, ladies and gents, is we're going to be covering um, what I'm going to be diving in deep around uh, Victoria's um, experience uh, being CEO at, at the age of 24 is quite an achievement. And um, we're going to be talking about some of her leadership lessons. We're going to be talking about her principles. We're going to be talking a little bit about culture. We're going to be talking about how to build culture, how not to build culture, right? We, we, we're going to be talking a little bit about that. So we, we're going to, we've got a wide diversity of different topics, and we're going to be um, really looking forward to today's conversation. So um, if you guys that are listening in, make sure that you've got a pen and paper handy, of course. And uh, we're going to put all of uh, Victoria's uh, social media links below. Uh, so looking forward to today and make sure that you connect with her on, on LinkedIn. We'll, we'll remind you guys at the end. So without further ado, Victoria, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Adam. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. It's really good to, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I, I was looking through your LinkedIn profile and, and it seems like you've got a bit of a fan base in regards to your public speaking and stuff, right? I do. I do. I'm, a, I'm sure we'll probably have a conversation around personal brand. And I'm very clear that Victoria Peltier is more than a title and the company I work for. I, for all the values and things I stand for, I joke that I'm a multi-potentialite. And on my speaking work, yes, I get a lot of people who will comment and post and uh, 
um, and I'm, I'm gracious when they called me rock star out there. Um, that probably goes a little bit more to my head, <laughs> given that I would have <laughs> actually been one. You know, you know, it's really interesting. Like uh, one thing that I observed, especially during our conversation is that I don't know, there's this, you know, I, I speak about this a little bit um, when I'm speaking to other um, sort of people here, on guests on the show, but there seems to be this kind of like, you know, high energy, high vibrational energy from you. You seem, you come across extremely confident, extremely, um, you know, like powerful in terms of like who you are and what, I mean, where did that come from? Cause I know that you do specific talks on this, don't you? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I think it comes from a, a multitude of places, Adam, from the fact that I'm tall for a woman and I hit this height by the time I was 11. So I, in my head, I feel like I'm six feet tall. I'm five foot eight and shrinking um, by the day. Um, my mom, next, my mom put me into modeling when I was younger because they, I'm adopted. So they didn't know how tall I was going to be. You know, they, you know, of course, every mother thinks her child is exceptionally beautiful, uh, but she also thought it was going to help break me out of my shell to some extent because I would, the extrovert you see in front of you now wasn't always. And so I had the opportunity to stand on stages quite early that modeling worked its way into acting. Uh, but what I will tell you, so there's a confidence that comes in standing in front of audiences, but I wasn't always confident speaking as Victoria, right? Wearing a mask, I could play a character. And so it came from that. It also came from the fact that that early experience in the workplace, I felt like I needed to show up very differently because I was so much younger. And I'm not a fan of fake it till you make it, but confidence is the one thing that I leaned into. I made myself come across as though I was confident, even though I was like, you know, had butterflies and in, in scrambling inside to the point that I did that enough and leaned into that discomfort that now it's just completely natural and, and quite honestly innate in who I am and how I show up. Interesting. So um, when regards to the kind of leaning into that kind of like confident figure that you saw, you know, there must have been some sort of, would you, would you kind of like comparing yourself to somebody else? Did you have someone to, was there like a, a role model that you were kind of like aspiring towards? And, and what was the, what was the premise behind that? The, um, so I, I never had a formal role model that I aspired to, I, but rather I sort of manifested the way in which I wanted to appear standing in front of an audience, whether it was just a boardroom table or once I started speaking uh, um, on stages. And that was, I, you know, manifested that I was going to, you know, come across as confident so people would believe in what it was that I was talking about. I knew that I need to be engaging or people would tune out. And this is long before self, self I've been speaking for almost 20 years now. Maybe now everyone's multitasking on their phone. And if I'm going to hold their attention, then I know I need to captivate them somehow, inspire, motivate them, engage with them as an audience. So my, mm -hmm. the role model was the vision of what I thought I needed to be standing on stage. So it was probably more of a fictitious character that I would model myself after more around the characteristics and, and actions I knew I needed to demonstrate to stand in front of people. So as, as like speaking, as, as that kind of like, I mean, you, you mentioned speaking numerous times in just a, a couple of minutes. Is, is that something that you, you know, from a young age, you saw yourself on the big stage, whether it be, I don't know, whether it be a kind of standing on Broadway or whatever it might be like, what sort of speaker did you want to become? 
I didn't have visions of being being a speaker. I did start acting very early and I loved being on stage. I'll tell you, I did um, some commercial work and some print work, but I always loved being physically in a theater on stage because you immediately had the, an audience reaction. So I had desires of growing that, but I was also incredibly pragmatic. I bought my first house at 19 and had a mortgage to pay. So I had no wow. delusions of grandeur that I was going to go and make it in Hollywood. Um, so when I shifted at some point, it again, it wasn't natural. I needed to, as an executive, speak at conferences where we were partners at or to try and pitch. I've been predominantly in a business to business capacity um, my entire career. So selling to other businesses. And so that meant being on stages that it wasn't what I planned to do. And the first few times I had to do it as Victoria on a stage talking about business or talking about leadership or whatever it was in the early days wasn't natural for me. Me becoming a professional speaker came later in life. And again, a lot of that was to do with a, what I felt when I spoke. And then also when I started to share a very different message and be more vulnerable, I even got deeper um, connection and um, reaction from audiences. And that's when I'm like, I love this. I have to do this uh, on a much greater scale than I am today. It's interesting. You, you know, it's when I, I don't know about you, but when I speak, it's kind of like this adrenaline rush. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like you get this adrenaline rush, but it's kind of a mixture of adrenaline versus butterflies, you know, like remember that first date that you went out on and it was like kind of this butter this but feeling of butterflies in your stomach and it's like oh this is kind of weird all these different feelings and stuff like that anyway i digress um <laughs> now interesting enough because you become i i'd love to know how you end up getting into kind of the executive world you know, becoming CEO at the age of 24, that, you know, that, that is, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's an amazing achievement. What was, I mean, tell us a little bit more about the background on that. Was there, I mean, you know, the person that was running the company, what did they see in you in terms of your qualities and thought, you know what, this girl, she's going to go some places or whatever it is. I'd love to kind of get some backstory on that. Yeah, sure. I am. Um... I, I did have plans on being a lawyer, but I worked for a bank while I was in university and a voracious learner and trying to improve myself. And so I took additional courses to allow me to do more within the bank. And I should also note, Adam, I started working at age 11. Uh, and by 14, I worked in a shoe store and I was the assistant manager. So I came into leadership very early. And so when I was working in the bank, I got promoted up through the ranks and to lead larger larger scale operations across a different areas within it because for example I'd taken my my securities license I'm originally from Canada so I had my Canadian securities license so I was able to run large scale operations for the brokerage um, and so when an executive recruiter came knocking on my door it was because I was already a I think I was director level at that point within a large Canadian bank running massive large-scale contact center operations with financial services experience. And the executive recruiter, third party, was looking for someone with contact center experience and particularly banking because many of the, it was an outsourcing company I was working for and many of their clients were banking. And so when I, so I met many of the ticks in the boxes were, were met or achieved, uh, not all of them. Uh, so that COO role was, you know, general manager role where technology reported to me, HR, sales, marketing functions that I hadn't had accountability for before. Uh, but what I think the CEO saw in me and, you know, he was 
was older than me, but he, you know, wasn't, um, you know, gray haired yet himself. I'm going to bet he was maybe 40 at the time. Um, I was 24 and a new mother and I had a many, many years of experience behind me. And I will tell you, I, um, I never disclosed my age initially, but if I ever got backed into a corner, I lied. No woman lies about her age, making herself older, but I did, uh, for a number of years for sure. And then, you know, I think he trusted me again. I showed up with confidence now, good and bad confidence is often, um, uh, um, seen as competence and that's not always the case, but I was a competent leader as well. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I, t- I built the bridge between all of the areas of experience where that I'd had and what lessons I'd learned, um, into how they were going to be able to be successful. And in the areas where there still remained a gap, I talked about my ability to attract and retain leaders who would have skills and experience that I didn't, uh, you know, and build this trusted team around me for us to ultimately, um, you know, deliver for him. Mm. Love that. Some very cool stuff. How did you, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know how big the team was that you were leading and stuff, but did you ever feel intimidated being so young? And did you feel like, you know, especially for older members of the team, you know, that have maybe been there for like 15, 20 years that maybe have this kind of like, I don't know, what's the word I was looking for? Um, this kind of like, not jealousy, but it was this kind of like, I suppose this, I should be there type of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I deserve that position. Do you know what I mean? And what, what's your thoughts of that? Did you ever come across that? I, I did. So at that particular company, the other thing I, I, I didn't, I failed to mention, I think part of the reason that CEO hired me is he had founded that company and he was, I'm going to describe him as a little bit scrappy. And I th- think he saw that in, in me, you know, and the ability to roll up my sleeves and get in dirty and do there and deliver. Um, and in that company, I did feel I had massive imposter syndrome. I was 24 years old. And although I had many years of experience, I was still only 24. The majority of the other people that sat around that table with me were at least two decades older than me. And I was also the only woman. Uh, so I, that sort of, it created a bit of this, this barrier. And I later got this unfortunate nickname as the Iron Maiden, um, not just from that company, but from a couple of others, I felt like, like I had to show up with a mask. There was going to be, I wasn't going to show any emotion or vulnerability. I was going to go in and demonstrate, I was going to perform and I was going to demonstrate that I had the maturity and skills and experience to be there. And a number of years later that, that when I learned of that nickname, I was like, oh my, that's not a role model. That's not who I'd want to work for. So I, I had to learn to be a little bit different and be vulnerable and show emotion and much more care and compassion. But on the age piece, I did have it at another company. I had gone in subsequently and been hired as the senior vice president within an organization reporting to their um, CEO. And I had a couple of fellow colleagues that sat around the table that didn't have the S in their title. They were VPs. And there was very much a, what is she doing coming in here? I've been working here for 10 years. She's come in more senior than us. I think, again, I was a little, I was younger than the colleagues. And so it was a very difficult situation. I was aware of it. I mean, he that this one in particular individual made it very difficult for me. He was very openly um, hostile as a result of that. And so it took patience and professionalism from me to try and I'll say win him over, but like demonstrate that I have skills. There's a re- I've earned my seat at the table here. And let's just find a way to work together so that we're all successful. Love that. So that you know, that's that's such a an image that's so much such such a, a mature way of 
you know, doing stuff. And we'll go back. We'll, we'll actually come back to the whole kind of like premise of wearing the mask. Cause I feel like even this, in this day and age is that there's so many leaders out there that go around wearing a mask and try to be people that they're not, you know what I mean? And it's just, it's sad. Um, yeah. yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about that. Cause that, that actually really, that makes my blood boil a little bit purely. Yeah. It, it's interesting. It's an interesting topic. Anyway, so I know that you do a lot of speaking. I know that you kind of like in what I call it a, 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 a time of your life in transition. Yeah, I suppose you're in a transitional period, aren't you? And trying to find things and, and stuff like that, which which I love. I suppose experimenting as well, which is kind of a cool thing as well, you know, kind of like, oh, where, where, you know, see where the next kind of opportunity comes. But from your perspective, like working in such senior roles from a young age, what do you think were your biggest learning curves from a leadership perspective? You know, what did you, what, what, were, what were kind of like, you know, were there ever a time where you ever felt uncomfortable? I mean, not just generally with people, but maybe with decision-making or whatever it might be. Was, was there anything kind of like jump jumps out of your mind? Yeah, there's been a few for me that very first role was pretty pivotal in that I needed to trust in my capability to step into what was a, a quite a, a stretch role for me. Uh, for sure. And that um, the other lessons I had to learn um, was, again, the mask I wore, how I showed up as a leader in my first few years as an executive, I'm not proud of. I'm not, I live with no regret and I don't, I don't have a regret, but I just think I could have done it so much differently. I could have, I wish that my 20 something year old self could see my 46 year old self now and realize that it's okay to, again, be vulnerable, to be this really hu human centered kind of leader. So that, that was one the other would be, I've been through 18 mergers and acquisitions in supporting the companies I've directly worked for, not even naming the ones that I've worked with clients on. And the first, first time I went through one of these really large scale ones, I was relocated for my first time. I'm a Canadian citizen, uh, um, uh, U.S. resident now, and I'd been relocated from Toronto to New York to help integrate. We'd acquired a number of like U.S. companies and come in and I was leading operations where the majority of the people sat. And although I'd gone through reorganizations within, um, by necessity within other businesses, I'd never done it to this scale. And understanding the relationship dynamics that came with the people that came over through acquisition. So I, I say that ultimately I was successful uh, in that, but there were some, some stumbling along the way and I needed to learn to be a little bit more mindful um, in everything from due diligence earlier and looking at different things for future acquisitions to, again, leaning in a lot more deeply into the talent side of the acquisition and ensuring it was going to be successful. Nice. Like that. Some very cool stuff. What did you um, feel like? Because <clears throat> you, you mentioned around you wish like if you was to be able to jump into a time machine and being able to change a few things or whatever it might be, you'd, you'd mentioned that. But in terms of like, improvements i mean obviously you've evolved as a person over the last 20 odd years right uh we all do but i guess like from your perspective what would you say what would you say that you know based on where you're at right now do you feel like do you feel like there's still improvements to be made along the way with regards to the maybe the sort of the role of you know your leadership style or whatever it might be what, what's your what's your kind of take on that I I think we we can always evolve and improve uh, for sure. I, I am 
I feel a great de um, deal of um, uh, I'd, content's probably not the right word, but I'm I'm happy with how I've evolved as a leader. I do still think I will continue to evolve, but it's the, an area where I think um, I've worked the hardest um, to excel. The but there are still areas of who I am as a human and how they show up in business period that I would like to improve. I'm not sure in some cases I can. So I, um, patience, I am not a patient individual and <laughs> period. Uh, and so I, I can try to improve or master. I don't know if you master that I, I can try but I also know that it like really innately is just, it's not in my A type personality. So instead what I've learned is um, to show up differently in different ways. Um, so I, I also operate at a pace that's faster than most. So I know that as a leader, I need to slow down. I need to let people catch up. I need to let people manage my expectations um, with facts and, um, you know, data behind it to support that if I'm asking for timelines and things like that. And so that's probably the area where I will continue to need to spend the, sig the more significant amount of time on myself, either improving or just recognizing that I need to um, do some things differently because I can't change completely. No, that's cool. I like that. Some good stuff. Now, I want to kind of like jump in here a little bit because I know that um, we've spent quite a lot of time like talking about some personal stuff, which is kind of cool. But I wanted to also talk a little bit about like culture, because I know that a lot of our listeners are, you know, a lot of them are uh, with smaller companies. And um, and I feel like, you know, we haven't really touched too much on the whole kind of culture stuff. But, you know, you being in an executive role, I suppose you've been in small companies as well as large companies, right? So you've kind of like got a great diversity in terms of experience. Um, what do you think from your perspective from a company that is, I wouldn't say is, well, I'm going to say is relatively new in terms of like, in terms of their growth, you know, it's steady growth, for example, it could be a professional services company or whatever it is. And they want to make sure that they, they get their culture right from, you know, it's not going to be right from, you know, immediately. But if you were, if you were asked for some advice from smaller businesses and they said to you, Victoria, um, I want to be able to create um, a unique culture within the within the company and being able to uh, being able to build a, a company on our terms and have happy employees engagement and all kind of kind of stuff. Where what would you say to those individuals? Like, what would be kind of like your I don't know top tips with regards to building thriving cultures? Well, I'm a big believer, Adam, that culture is actually the outcome of a result of an, a lot of things. And a lot of people think, you know, you just plaster on the wall, a nice, you know, um, vision mission statement and, you know, that shall be. And, you know, for me, it starts with cr creating a sense of purpose, quite, quite frankly. So, I mean, you know, if you're, many of your listeners are entrepreneurs or founders, you know, they've found a purpose in the, uh, hopefully in, in the work, in the business that they've created and they are passionate about that. But, Consumers and employer employees today want to work for purpose, mission-driven organizations. So being really clear and articulating what that purpose, you know, and mission is of the organization, and then learning how to bring that down to the individuals and how they can help support it. 
you know, so you might be doing accounts payable, like they've hired an accounts payable person. Well, how does that contribute to the success of our organization overall? And so that's where I think it's the leader's responsibility to help, you know, bring that down to the individual level. And I also think it's about creating the right kind of policies and procedures. I'm a massive, you said it in the, in, in the bio around me, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are you mm. creating policies, procedures, and an environment where everyone feels like hey, they can show up in their, uh, with a sense of belonging, their whole, bringing their whole selves, being open and transparent about who they are? And then it's also about the, the actions, the, the language, and the behaviors of the leaders themselves that demonstrate um, you know, the committedness to the stated purpose and ideally the kind of culture that they've, they want to create. Mm. I like that. So it's, it's, it's some really good value bombs. I love the fact that you've really condensed that down into something which is really simple. For you guys that are listening in, there were a lot of value bombs that I picked up just by writing stuff there. So if you, if you didn't quite pick them up, what I would, re- what I would recommend you do is pause the recording and rewind it that's what i would recommend you guys do anyway some good stuff i like that now for you here's an interesting part because you're gonna get we get we also get a diversity of different listeners that may be in business for like 10 20 30 years right and i feel like some of those companies they can be stuck in their ways do you know what i mean they get a little bit kind of complacent they have the mindset of, oh, that's just how things are done around here type of thing. You know what I mean? And you probably heard this before, right? Being in sort of working to sort of large and small companies. What do you, how do you deal with leaders that have that kind of mentality in terms of like, you know, you'll get like, I don't know, a fresh face that comes into the business that wants to make a good impression, but then you, you're, you're faced or you're, you're faced up against what I call resilient um, you know, hard-assed, you know, leaders that have been there from like day one and they have this kind of like fixed mindset. What's your, uh, what What would you say, what would what advice would you give to that kind of like young, you know, go-getting sort of, you know, leader that wants to make a difference, but they're really faced with, you know, some would call them assholes, if you like, whatever you want to, however you want to call it. But how would you deal with that situation? Have you, have you been in a situation like that similar? Uh, so I, I have, I have. <laughs> um, you know, in one of the acquisitions that I referenced earlier, I, I it took me one full year with one of the leaders to get her on board with recognizing that there was a different way for us to be doing business and using new tools and technology to support our clients. Now, would I always wait one year? No, but she was critically important to the client who was critically important to our business. Um, yeah. So there's times where um, that, that that was an exercise in patience for me. Um, but again, understanding the outcome. And, and, um, and so what I'd say is, you know, I, there's going to be a multitude of those people. So for that, you know, young or old person who has to deal with those, you know, hard-headed individuals who are not prepared to recognize that there's a different way of doing things uh, is I, I think a lot gets built on um, trust and rapport. And so building that with the individual um, who will then start to listen potentially to a different perspective again, because they've built that kind of relationship with you. I also think that it's around having the the data and fact to support it. I mean, just coming in with a whole lot of intuition without 
experience and, and data to support it um, will certainly be helpful in that regard. And also this like intuitiveness. I mean, I'm the type who like, I, I don't take no for an answer, uh, you know, and I want, actually, I'm the type who wants to break things. So I do get to put them back together again. Uh, I, you know, I hate the status quo. And so I also choose for those individuals and I'm not saying immediately, but, you know, find the right kind of environment, going back to culture, the right kind of environment that's going to suit, you know, you and your personality and the way in which you want to work. Um, there's still going to be, you know, people all around, but again, building their trusted relationship with them, understanding, sharing your, your, your experience, understanding the data points to try and help bring them onto your side. And then lastly, I'd say, Adam, there's a hierarchy for a reason. So consensus is great, but at some point the hierarchy matters and someone gets to make a decision. And then you work through to the best of your abilities, the change management process to get as many people on the bus proverbially as possible. Love that. Some good stuff that I love that. Now you mentioned that you were, you've been part of, or you've been part of like at least 18 different management acquisitions, which, which is a phenomenal amount. You know, you'll be lucky if, you know, in people's lifetime to be part of just one or two, right? But 18 is is quite phenomenal. What do you, like, from a from a leader's perspective, and I'm just thinking it from a leader's perspective here, and, and you know, there's a lot of, you know, especially when a, when a company acquires another company or if you are selling, you know, to whichever, whichever remit that you decide. But from a leader's perspective, um. I was going to ask you, like, what are some of the, I wouldn't say duties, but what would you say are some of the uh, ways of leadership in terms of like the style of leadership? How does it change in terms of like, because some people might be thinking, well, you know, this is the end, right? It's the end. Our jobs are gone. You know, do you know what I'm saying? It's like the kind of this level of insecurity then kicks in. But I was just kind of curious to know from your perspective um from a from a leadership perspective like you know, if you've got if we've got clients that are listening in and they're looking to either acquire or sell you know how do, should we act as leaders number one that's the first thing but also like how can we get, still get the best out of people knowing that there is an end game at the end of it yeah i think um well i, I mean it's uh, it's different um in terms of in, you're selling or, or you're buying in terms of the early stages of due diligence, et cetera, and, and how I'd recommend to your audience. But let's assume a transaction's been completed, mm. you know, from the acquiring organization. And even for the company that's been acquired, lots of times there's an expectation to stay for a transition period or one, two years, whatever afterwards. And so I think it becomes really important for those leaders um, to do a few things. So first, where I see a lot of these um, M&A deals go wrong is around the change management component of it. Mm -hmm. And this um, is like multi-pronged in that one, you know, these companies go, hey, I have a project management office, a PMO that does change management as we implement new clients or new technology all the time this is different in a whole other scale. And so if they haven't had experience and how to write communications and build a plan around that, that's one. Two is not having a dedicated team around that and expecting that everyone's going to do their day job plus the all the integration work that needs to, to go on. I mean, that that's a recipe for disaster. It's not like any companies are sitting around with like people who are only doing 
a majority of their people doing like 50% work and have capacity to, to take this on. And the, the last thing is, um, and well, there's more than that, but the other thing I would focus on is around the leadership, the communication, the being as incredibly transparent as possible. And in these situations, you can't always share everything, certainly, but to the extent that you can do, right? And say like, so for me, like in bringing leadership teams together, I've said, look, I'm go we are going to, the company is expecting that as a result of this acquisition, there's going to be some synergies. So some people are going to lose their jobs. I'd rather say that up front, but also mm -hmm. say, we're not doing death by a thousand cuts. We're going to go through this as leaders. You're going to help me decide like we're going to work through this together um, and, and manage it that way. And that also, again, that once we do it, I hate the death by a thousand cuts. I've been in one organization where it was just constantly. So people always lived in fear. Um, and so doing it that way. And then again, building like a lot of, you know, trust and rapport with others. I use that example of that one woman. It took me a year. Now, had I not invested in the time and done some of this was due diligence around understanding how important she was to our client I could have made an earlier decision to say she's so incredibly difficult. I'm going to exit her, but I could have potentially lost that multi-million dollar client as a result. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess it depends on the value that you put the other person on, right? So that was a that was it's a good point. That some good stuff. Now I know that you mentioned earlier on the whole kind of like the whole kind of like wearing of masks type of thing, and you know, the, I, I think I had a rant maybe about two or three months around the whole kind of like being authentic and showing vulnerability and stop wearing a mask type of thing. I think it was about two, three months ago, whatever it is. Um, you know, this is like, actually, but this is probably one of my, from my perspective, Victoria, is like, you know, I I, it, it, I suppose it fascinates me because it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it can't, you, you're kind of going deep with regards to people's thought processes more than anything else. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But from your perspective, like, you know, this whole kind of like, mask charade whatever you want to call it right do you have any i suppose do you have any advice for some of those leaders that you know even when they're so showing themselves up on places like linkedin for example like you get a lot of this right where you know you can see that there's a disconnection between the person the way the what they're saying to what they're actually doing in terms of showing up do you know what i mean and it's like People aren't stupid. Like people can pick signals up. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, stop doing that, right? You know what I mean? So in terms of like, from your perspective, like what are some of the biggest mistakes that leaders make with regards to, you know, that whole kind of mask wearing and, you know, being the person that they're not really supposed to be, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes that they make in terms of like, whether it be kind of putting yourself out there, whether it be building a personal brand, like you mentioned before and whatever it is, what have you found as some of some of the biggest mistakes that people make? I think that people's individual experience and own insecurities inform the way they show up in business um, and lead their people. And that leads to, um, the, their downfall, quite frankly. And by that, I mean, I think, um, you know, someone might've had a really poor experience as they were earlier in their career and they've taken that with them everywhere they go. It doesn't mean all leaders. So they, they choose to act in a very different way. You know, I had one company, uh, a person who I, I, he, he'd come from a, a pure partnership type environment with equity and the way that that dynamic worked as he then came into a publicly traded company 
and that that dynamic and how he would show up. He needed to make sure that when he met with teams who he needed to work with them, they weren't all his direct reports. You work in a highly matrixed organization. You know, you're, you're working through that um, indirect reporting system. I needed to say to him at like at at some point, like he would, he would tout to everyone, well, I'm the partner here. I'm like, okay, everyone's got that. We can look up your title. Um, you know, so like, <laughs> how, how, how do we get people on board? And so, you know, for me, it was sitting with him and having a, again, a, a conversation. And I know that comes from his, you know, a prior experience and that's what's informed. But I also think there's this, I, I talked about insecurities and there's a fear of failure. There's a fear of rejection. Um, and so, people put on whatever mask or persona they think they need to, to prevent anyone from seeing the cracks in the armor. Uh, and again, it shows up as, as you said, Adam, like fake, fake and not believable sometimes, or just, you, you just don't like that, that person. And so, you know, my advice is to be your authentic self. You know, if your audience goes and looks me up online, I can guarantee that if anyone ever worked with me or meets me in person, there is no difference in the Victoria that you are seeing online versus the person that you meet face to face. In fact, you know, for the, you know, the new year post, everyone's writing, yay, so Mary, I actually said, no, 2022 was one of the most difficult in my adult life. People might think by seeing my posts on LinkedIn and I've won some awards and things like that, things are so amazing, but I'm like, no, let me tell you what it looks like. But that goes back to my resilience, my unstoppable nature. And so it all, it's all connected. So I, I feel like it's so abused when people talk about being your authentic self and being vulnerable. But at the end of the day, I can tell you from firsthand experience that has materially made a difference for me in my own leadership and the kind of followership I've subsequently built. Yeah, it's a, that's a really good point, actually. I love the fact that you um, picked that up, up, up kind of, you know, the whole kind of like, you attract who you want to become. Does that make sense? Um, mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, and I don't believe in the whole kind of fake it before you make it crap. I think it's kind of like very much, you know, pre-2019 type of thing. You know what I mean? So it's just, I, I, I get that. And it's interesting because, and, and I'm, so, I'm so glad you kind of shared that whole kind of like, you know, 2022 was kind of difficult because I, you know, I, 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 we also live in a very judgmental world. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, you know, they're doing so well. Oh my God, they won so many awards. Oh my God, they're on stages. It's like, but really behind the shell, is it all what it's made up to be? Like, are we really, are we really sharing our true colors, if you like? Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. kind of like, but I suppose that kind of like intertwines into that whole kind of like, personal brand kind of thing you know if you i suppose this kind of like you know do you do you wear a mask because you want to be seen in a different light but i suppose you picked up a really good point about the whole kind of people's insecurities because really it comes to who am i comparing myself to why am i you know and that's whole kind of feeling of being judged right um and it's interesting just to kind of like wear that kind of like where that thought process comes in people's minds. I just, for me, I just don't get it. Like authenticity was like, is, is, is as important in terms of my core values, but I guess it's easier said than done, right? That's what I'm kind of trying to get at. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just about personal brand. I tie this back fundamentally to me doing the right thing. And me also, when I talk about outcome, um, sorry, culture being an outcome, 
It's about, do you feel safe showing up in this great sense of belonging? So for me, being my authentic self, me sharing my story creates the space and capacity for others to feel like they can do them the same and thereby builds the right kind of culture from a diversity and inclusion perspective that I, I would want on the, you know, as my mission statement, but I can actually live it, but me demonstrating as a leader. So it's not just the right thing to do. It's not great for my personal brand. It's great for DE and I, it's great for my team all around. Like I think people look at it and, you know, as a, you know, very finite myopic reason to do these things. And the reality is it's just, you know, brings benefits across all of all areas. Mm, very good. I know that we're coming towards the end of our conversation, but I guess like my thought process is saying to me, you know, when we talk about leadership, right? So we think about leadership, we talk about a lot about leadership, how it's changed over the last sort of, you know, since the time that you became CEO compared to now, which is 22 years, a long time ago. But how do you see that in terms of the future of leadership? How do you feel that's going to change in terms of like how people show up online to like the, you know, the types of leaders that we're attracting into companies now, you know, are they very different type of thing? What's your thoughts behind that? I think I'm, I feel very fortunate that I learned many years ago, this style of being, uh, not just leading of being, because I believe that this is the expectation for how work should be done and leaders should be operating going forward. This hustle culture um, now, I think the pendulum's swinging, and so I'm not saying it's not going to come back a little bit, but the focus purely on, you know, hustle, hustle hard, um, you know, will be balanced by different types of metrics within a business. And so things like, you know, ESG goals, are we all contributing to DEI within our workplaces? What are we doing for sustainability? Um, people want to work for, I mentioned at the start of this, purpose-driven organizations and leaders. And so I think that's very much the differentiator for the future is we're all fighting for talent and then hoping to retain them as well. And so again, I feel fortunate to have done it because it felt like the right thing and I saw it working. But now as I, particularly as I work with other businesses and coaching them on what transformation should look like, this is really what the demands of consumers and employees are now. And I suspect will be for a very, very long, long time. You know, I, I, I guess the whole point of um, the thought that, you know, you mentioned around the whole kind of like, this is the way that things should be done. But I guess who sets that tonality? That's kind of like my, do you know what I mean? It's like, well, who says that? And, you know, and I suppose for me, I'm a little bit of a disruptor in that way. It's like, well, yeah, I, I, I get that. But who sets who said that type of thing? Do you know what I mean? Is it is like kind of a rule book that we're trying to follow here? Well, I, I think know. No, I, I mean, I think, Adam, look at like, you know, Elon Musk has come in and bought Twitter and, you know, they had a very different culture in the way it was working before. And he's come in and it's like, th this is what it's going to look like. And I think as an employee, you then have to make a decision. Now, you might stay for a period. You might make a decision to say, I'm out like this is not aligned with my belief system and how I want to work. And you'll stay there until you find another job or you just outright quit. So I think. CEOs and founders can make that decision, but understand the limitations that are going to come in terms of who's going to want to work with you, who's going to want to buy from you, or how far you're going to be able to grow. So, again, you're, you can make that decision, but, you know, it comes with, uh, you know, specific outcomes. Absolutely. 100%. Love that. Well, I know that we've covered a lot of We've, we've covered a, a wide diversity of different topics today. Like, literally, I know that we've 
we could go into so many different avenues, which we're not going to have time for, ladies and gents. But um, for you guys that have been listening in, and listen, it's been a really fascinating conversation because I don't think we've ever had on the show someone that's had, you know, someone that's been in C-suite kind of senior executive roles, you know, that's kind of transitioning into like, you know, full-blown speaker type of thing. I kind of love that. Um, I've never come across that myself because I feel, I, and I was saying this to Victoria, I was like, you know, normally with most people that are either running their own business or they're in C-suite, whatever it is, normally most of those people suck at speaking. Um, it's normally like death by PowerPoint type of thing. Do you know what I mean? You ever get those types of um, leaders that, you know, and they, they still exist today, by the way, heavily. I just wanted to point that out to you, by the way. So um, <laughs> it's so funny. Anyway, I just want to say, Victoria, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Um, for you guys, um, I hope that you've enjoyed today's show. Do me a favor. If you have enjoyed our today's show, do get in contact with Victoria if you are interested in uh, bringing in her as a speaker, getting her, um, um, should we say, her uh, areas of expertise in terms of leadership, culture, social selling, personal branding. You know, we're going to put all of her links below. Feel free to check that out. And um, if you, again, if you've enjoyed today's um you know, great show. Please do me a favor. Give us a one or a five-star review over on Spotify or on Apple. I would greatly appreciate that. That'll be super awesome. Anyway, from me, Victoria, just want to say thank you so much for everyone. And uh, hopefully you have a great day. Speak to you soon and take care. Cheers now. Bye-bye.